Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today on This Week Health. Yeah, one thing that's hard in our role as advocates for the best use of information and analytics and technology to be anti doing something cool with technology. So I hate to be like the department of no, I think across the board, CIOs are seen as the no department. We try not to be, but the exuberance of saying yes to much will cost. Welcome to Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show partners, Meditech and Transparent, for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Welcome to the This Week Health Town Hall Conversation. I'm Reed Steffen, VP and CIO at St. Luke's Health System in Boise, Idaho. And I'm joined today by my friend, John Kanegi, who is the Senior Vice President and the Chief Information and Administrative Officer at Legacy Health. John, welcome and thanks for the time. Reed, thanks so much. Okay, question one. Just take a minute and introduce Legacy Health for our listeners, who you are, where you are, the scope of your services. Yeah, thanks. I, I love starting with that. I love, I'm so proud of working at Legacy Health. It's a wonderful place. We're in Portland, Oregon, headquartered in Portland, Oregon. And our mission is to be essential to the health of the region. So our region comes from sort of Southwest Washington, the Vancouver area, down to the Willamette Valley. And we have eight hospitals, two urban hospitals in downtown Portland, four suburban hospitals around the area and two specialty hospitals, a children's hospital and a behavioral health hospital. We have been around since 1875. So in two years, we will celebrate 150 years in the West, founded by the Episcopalian communion. And then not to be outdone, the Lutherans formed our second hospital in the <laughs> early 1900s. So very much of the West, West Coast where all the religious, you know, it was basically healthcare was done in homes and then done yep. by religious orders. So we've been around for that. We've got over a hundred clinics, just over the community based. So we're not academic or Roman Catholic or Kaiser. So community health system with a pretty vibrant medical staff, about a third of them are employed and the rest are independent. Okay. Very good. I also love to ask, I think a part of these conversations is to create a sense of community and get to know each other, even if it's virtual and asynchronous. Take a few minutes and just kind of describe your education journey, your career path, like what led you to where you are today? That's a great question. And you do that in interviews, but I think a really good CIO is pretty humble about themselves. So it's going to come across as non-humble <laughs> as you talk about your journey. But I guess I would start with the places that I've worked that I've, I've been really touched by. I've had the honor in my career of working just at four organizations. The Department of Veterans Affairs, where I started as a PC tech in 1987. 
And then I moved to Oregon Health and Science University here in Portland. So I moved to the Pacific Northwest, 1999, three months before Y2K. Yeah. We all remember where we were that night. And you <laughs> survived. <laughs> we did. So it was at OHSU, the academic medical center for seven, for seven years. And then I moved to Providence Health and Services at the time before it was Providence St. Joseph. I served as CIO there for five years and then had the opportunity to come to Legacy 11 years ago on Sunday. I will hit my 11th anniversary, which is three life expectancies of a healthcare CIO. That's right. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I have had also the joy of mixing education with that with uh, taking time, you know, as, as you join a new organization and you want to make differences, I mean, that's really consuming. And then it goes into a little more maintenance mode and just my own interest in learning and all that. I, I've learned what I want in the organization. And so kind of the tail end of that tenure, I'll look at a new educational opportunity. So I started with a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, and it was renting a room from a physician in my last semester at Stanford where he needed PC help. And I got the a PC tech job in mm-hmm. at the Palo Alto VA. Then I did a master's in health administration about a decade later, a decade after that, I did a PhD in business and technology with my dissertation research on physicians using CPOE and used Kaiser, which had done Epic in 1994. OHSU was doing it in 2004. And so I did my study of how they viewed success of CPOE. And then not to ever finish, five years ago, I pursued a JD here at Lewis and Clark. You know, John, people talk about you want to be a lifelong learner and never stop learning, which I fully embrace. But you seem to have taken that and injected it with steroids, right? So you've you've got your bachelor's, you have a PhD, you have your JD. What kind of has fueled that desire to continue your education to that level? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. I would consider it an homage to my parents. My dad was a, a middle school principal in Sacramento. He pursued it when my sister and I were under 10 years old. He pursued a doctorate in education. My mom, whose parents had moved from Italy, she was the first in her entire family to go to college. She went to UC Berkeley right at the end of World War II. And she also got a master's equivalent and was a teacher for a long time. And it just, it, I don't know, I just kind of caught the bug and paid it forward in, in terms of education. How has your JD helped you in ways you didn't anticipate as a CIO, CAO? You know, it's, 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 a, it's a great question, Reed. I you know, one of the critical roles that we do in healthcare IT is vendor management, vendor contracts. You know, I remember 15 years ago looking at like indemnification and all the T's and C's in in a contract and just pouring over it. Those of us CIOs who have Epic, you know, you probably have a binder in your (laughs) office, which is the Epic license agreement. So that has just upped my knowledge about the of that contract. I think it has helped my writing ability. There's a lot of oral presentation and writing. And to be honest, it was so different doing my day job with CIO. I do evening programs, night school for three and a half years. The evening working of my brain was so different than anything that I did. I was doing constitutional law questions, being ready for a final exam that had nothing to do with 
you know, my mouse is broken and, you know, why is voicemail back now? Okay. Power of my, my, my role to help you. Yeah. I would envision like if I had that JD, I might go to my legal team and say, Hey, you know, I've reviewed this contract already. We're good. We can just sign it. And I'm sure that wouldn't be well received, but I think that I might use that knowledge <laughs> now as you mentioned at the beginning my title has expanded and the the ceo yeah. and we want to we want to tap that you know what's the plan when you finish you pass the bar what are you going to do and it was a good question because i actually kind of didn't know what i wanted to do it was started in my mid-50s in pursuing this and so i i took on corporate compliance as a responsibility and so there's okay. a lot of obviously, regulatory compliance i'm now certified in hospital compliance. And again, in our role, IT security, HIPAA security, and then its cousin patient privacy, you know, mm -hmm. we've been around, CIOs are around all this a lot. And so the regulatory side of it, just, I think it just kind of deepened my knowledge in this fundamental aspect of working in a highly regulated, and then in our field, you know, a lot of vendor management. Yeah. Well, I think that's just an incredible and fascinating background that you have. So thanks for taking a moment to share that. Okay. You and I had talked previously, and I want to kind of dive into to this topic for a few minutes and spend some time like uh, chatting together and learning from you in particular around financial sustainability, IT or IS cost control, and the power of governance to be a great lever for that. So here's kind of question one for you. I think as CIOs, we've all had the experience when you're either benchmarking or you're showing like year over year, like what does your budget look like in total as a percent of revenue? And in your organization, there's going to be just a slow kind of incremental increase in that generally, which can be kind of jarring. Like if you just look at what your IT budget is today versus five years ago and just take it at face value, that can cause kind of a visceral reaction by the CFO or by others. What are ways that you found to kind of help tell that story and make sure that it's an apples to apples comparison in terms of cost? It's such a hard story to tell. And frankly, some of it's like, I don't want, I just want it to be cheaper. So <laughs> I don't want this dialogue to be rationalizing why it costs this much. Why does IT cost so much and we get so little? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's really complicated. You look at the data. And one of the elements I did in this last go round of many, I've been a CIO for 26 years. I've been in healthcare IT for 34, was showing the trend line, both of FTE, but also costs, but then putting them in modern dollars. So mm -hmm. you, if you just use inflationary from our 2016 costs to, to 2023, there's been an increase in that. But if you just basically, what was the dollar worth and just the inflationary impact of that, we're fairly flat. So yes, on an actual dollar, you know, you look over time at trends, the numbers get bigger. That's kind of how inflation works. The cost of living works. And so, and of course, as you know, we're working with vendors and a really well-negotiated contract says, basically, I want this at no additional cost, this annual fee for a three-year contract, and I want no inflation in the contract, so leave it flat. Well, then the contract it has to be renewed, and then they do a 10%. They get their money. Yeah. The piper has to be paid. So that's been one element of looking at those costs is sort of comparing the dollar. The other one around benchmarking that 
Our industry, it's interesting, of course, when you benchmark often, they say, let's remove depreciation. And where we are all in the transition of moving to cloud or software as a service to basically not, you know, 10 years ago, maybe a little more than 10 years ago, everything was a capital purchase with a perpetual license. And now we're yeah. moving to subscription fees, which then the depreciation isn't there. We will benchmark as we're a fairly early adopter. Our Epic DR is all in Microsoft Azure. Cache is a subscription. Citrix is a subscription. So if you normalize to take out depreciation, which I understand the logic of it financially, it makes us look more expensive. Yeah. We have low depreciation. So we've looked at a percent of our overall cost. Depreciation has gone from 25 million or a quarter of my annual budget to 8% over the, over the course of the last five years, since 2016 to today. Alex's Lemonade Stand was started by my daughter, Alex, in her front yard. By the time she was four, she knew there was more that could be done. And she told us she was going to have a lemonade stand. And she wanted to give the money to her doctor so they could help kids like her. It was cute, right? She's going to cure cancer with a lemonade stand. Like only a four-year-old would think that. But from day one, it just exceeded anything we could have imagined because people responded so generously to her. We are working to give back and are excited to partner with Alex's Lemonade Stand this year. Having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. We are asking you to join us. You can hit our website. There's a banner at the top and it says Alex's Lemonade Stand there. You can click on that and give money directly to the Lemonade Stand itself. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and I think that's a trend that we're all kind of experiencing, right? With less capital investment and more on the OPEX side with cloud and SaaS type solutions. You know, it's really kind of simple, but I love just that concept of comparing historical costs in present day dollar value. We're not trying to massage the message or like talk our way out of it. Your point, we want to be efficient and lean and look for cost decreases, but it can also help just to kind of level set. Yes, there's been an increase, but it's not maybe quite as steep as you would think just looking at the kind of the raw numbers on this slide. And so that's a nugget that I've drawn from you that has benefited me in conversations I've had. So I think that's great. I think okay. one thing that if we look yeah. over time in terms of cost, you know, there was, if you look at eras of electronic health records, you had the best of breed for a long time, and then you wanted to go to a package suite system. And we were all, yeah. those of us on Epic really love that. We wish there was an Epic for enterprise business, you know, ERPs. Yeah. And, but the market is very creative and marketing is very creative. So while we don't have now big, core transactional systems that are best of breed all the cloud-based machine learning it's like well we work with epic and so the bolt-ons have not reduced i kind of thought that once you did a suite of systems you'd be able to say okay well we're going to use the one that we put an investment in 10 years ago and use their software but the creativity and marketing creativity about you need this or you'll all die. And they don't sell to IS, they sell to the business. I think the one thing that's hard in our role as advocates for the best use of information and analytics and technology to be anti doing something 
cruel with technology, but at the same time, there's a cost. And if there's a benefit, yeah. that's great. But the benefit accrues to the business or that yeah. department, and the cost comes to IT. Yes. So I hate to be like, the department of no, I think across the board, CIOs are seen as the no department. And it's like, well, we try not to be, but the exuberance of saying yes to much will cost. And people forget that we all said yes collectively seven yeah. months ago before yeah. we're in planning for the next fiscal year. And I have not cracked that nut. I mean, I complain about it and I try to raise it. And during the budget to close the budget gap, they don't really care. We're at that point. We're not thinking about the excitement of the enthusiasm about doing a care management software that really will be beneficial to our care providers and the patients yeah. ultimately who we're trying to serve, but it still comes with a price tag. And so that, that short-term memory of the decisions that lead to higher cost is just something that we cycle through as CIOs every year. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, I would say, like you said, you haven't cracked it. Like maybe you haven't opened that nut, but I think based on conversations we've had, like there's a couple of cracks. And so maybe our last kind of point here, yeah. and it's adjacent to what you're just saying. So there's never a shortage of, of new ideas, new requests that come in, and they're all seemingly like really good. It's rare that something comes in that just is like bad and it's immediate. No, like they all have merit. They're all well-intentioned. Great. Talking Great. about governance. Yeah. What have you found that helps to kind of create the right lens for a good discussion about prioritization so that you can understand, look, we have finite resources and therefore we have capacity to do this. How have you navigated the conversation to ensure that you're doing the right thing at the right time? I am proud to say, and I will give a lot of kudos to the vice president of IS Applications who works at Legacy, Kylie Bornet, who should be a CIO. She's phenomenal. She's a strong advocate for governance, obviously the application side of the house, collaborating with the CTO, who are both really amazing. We have finally disbanded IS governance as a separate governance function and our senior vice president, CEO, and her direct reports, we are the governance function. That's one thing. The second thing is when a VP or director or a hospital president or chief nurse officer wants to promote something, the person who presents it to their peers is the senior vice president themselves. Not IT, not the hospital president or CNO. The SVP has to say, this is what the thing is. This is why I want to do it. What t-shirts at that point, it's, yeah. we haven't even really done a contract or whatever. Yep. The t-shirt size, yep. how big this is. And we only do for large, not like, you know, a minute, a yeah. small change to Epic. That's not, the, but a big thing, like $500,000 or more comes to this group and it's SVP during its regular, we meet weekly, twice a week. And on the operations meeting, the Monday meeting, once a month, it is brought forward and we do up or down. And recently we had a bolt on for OR efficiencies and there was a lot of dialogue. It would have been over a million dollars a year, probably with a yep. good benefit. But then there was also a module in Epic that could make, maybe meet 85, maybe yep. even hundred, but a minimum 85%. And the group said, you know, let's at least start with the Epic module. And if it doesn't, we could always, 
the, the vendor will always be there to take our check for a million dollars. Why don't we start with something internal and then move to it? And it's been effective. Now we're in like, this is March. We're going to have our third meeting this yeah. month. But the SVPs, one, owning that they yeah. present. I love and that. And it's there. It's not a separate governance function. Uh -huh. It's right at the table. So I, okay. I hope that sustains yeah. beyond just the emergency financial that we're all facing. Because I do think that that's, it's powerful to have that conversation. Peer to peer, not me. Yep. Yeah. Because it should be what's the business or clinical driver, right? Not this is an IT need. And I think you're right. Like for me, it'll be we're going to learn a lot during this period. And it's not even a moment. Like this is more, it's not a season. It's more like climate change. So how can we instill these learnings? It's not just a temporary measure. This is the way we need to operate. So last question, and then we can wrap up. I'm just curious then, you've had two of these meetings, one more coming up. What's the percentage of ideas that have had a yes, go forward versus like, nope, not right now, or let's use what we already have. Do you have any sense of the breakdown? Third, third, third. So we've gone through about seven of these larger projects and the yep. third were, yeah, that really has a good ROI. We're ready for it. The IS department, the operations are ready for it. And so, you know, it, it was ready. A third was defer. Interesting idea. Not now, not affordable, not the ROI isn't fast enough for what we want to do. And so we got to get the faster ROI things to then have a margin to be able to then invest in the future. And then a third, we're like the, this OR one, we're going to do the best we can with the tools that we have available now and work with our current vendors rather than do a bolt on. And so I'm proud of that. I mean, that's, that's a yeah, good good model so, and then like you said everything that comes to that level is pretty well vetted yeah and so they're really there's each investment on its own would make a difference would, would have a positive thing it's just yeah. that we can't do all of them at once and we can't do many of them now with the constraints of the length of stay issues and all the other you know cost input you know energy healthcare is such an energy intensive so when energy is 20 percent inflation mm -hmm. it hurts yeah, exactly. Well, I think, John, you've given us hope. Like, it's possible to have good ideas come in and to say, you know what? We're going to accept 80% is good enough for what we need, or it's a good idea, but we're going to say no, not right now. Like, that is possible. You're proof yeah. of it. So, thank you. You're very welcome. Great okay. to visit with you. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. your time. And thank you so much for what you shared. You're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. It's such a great it. week. Yep, it is. It is a great community to be a part of. Have a great day. Thank you, too. Gosh, I really love this show. I love hearing what workers and leaders on the front lines are doing. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. If you want to support This Week Health, the best way to do that is to let someone else know about our channels. Let them know you're listening to it and you are getting value. We have two channels, This Week Health Conference and This Week Health Newsroom. You can check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find them on our website, thisweekhealth.com, and you can subscribe there as well. We also want to thank our show partners, Meditech and Transparent, for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.